Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you by your good friends at TicketIQ.com. Do you like going to baseball games? I do. If you want to save money while going to baseball games, then you got to use TicketIQ.com. Our good friends at TicketIQ.com have uh, given us a unique link that you can use to save money on acquiring tickets to Dodgers games, whether they're on the road, at the ravine, wherever they may be. All you have to do is simply go to DodgersBeat.com in the link tree, click on the Ticket IQ link, and it will direct you to their website, and you can begin uh, all the searching for all the tickets. Huge thanks to them for the consideration. As always, terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for more details. TicketIQ.com. They actually saved me a few bucks when I was uh, at a road game a couple weeks or a week ago when I was in Denver. It's legit. It works. And for being a listener to this podcast, you too can save some money. So please go to DodgersBeat.com. This is a Dodgers Beat production. Go there. Click on TicketIQ.com. It'll take you to their website, and the rest is there. And again, terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for more details. Big thanks to TicketIQ.com. Also brought to you by our good friends at FOCO. Do you like Dodgers memorabilia? I do. Do you like Dodgers knickknacks? I do. Well, for being a loyal listener to this year's podcast, if you click on the link for the description for this podcast, it'll take you to FOCO's website, right? Once you're there, add whatever you want to your cart. Whatever it may be. Upon checkout... For being a loyal listener to this year's podcast, you will save 10% on your purchase. As always, terms and conditions do apply. Please see FOCO's website for more details. FOCO.com. Huge thanks to them. We're actually doing a giveaway with them right now. If you go to our Instagram, you will find all the details for that giveaway for a Los Angeles Dodgers straw hat. Super sick hat, especially right now with it being super hot. You can sit in the shade a little bit with that hat. Check out that giveaway at the Bleed Los Podcast Instagram, which is at the Bleed Los Podcast. So go check that out. Again, terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for more details. Huge thanks to FOCO.com. And last but not least, our good friends at BleedLos.com. They are a fan apparel company that is dropping all of the apparel. You want that Joe Kelly Loteria shirt? They got it. You want some uh, Culichi merch for uh, Julio Diaz? They got it. Walker F. and Bueller? They also got it. Check it out. If you go to their website, which is bleedlos.com, add whatever you want to the cart, use the promo code bleedlospod10, you will save 10% on your purchase. Terms and conditions to apply. Please see their website for more details. Huge thanks to bleedlos.com. Check it all out. This week we are joined by Elisa Hernandez. She is a Spectrum Sportsnet LA field producer. Had a great conversation with her about the transition of going from Alana to Kristen Watts. Watson. Excuse me. We talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff with her. Uh, and we also kind of get just the skinny on what it's like to work, you know, for the Lakers, for the Dodgers, the Sparks, USC, you know, all, all that fandom uh, in, in the Southern California region. Solid conversation, solid hangs. We welcome Elisa Hernandez here to the Carnasada, so check it out. Here is Elisa Hernandez.
Hey fans, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Lows Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan with the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And this week we are joined in the Carnesada by Elisa Hernandez, Sportsnet LA field producer with the Los Angeles Dodgers. But let's be real, she has several jobs and I'm not going to list all of them off, but we really appreciate the time, Elisa. Thanks for joining us. No, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, so let's just get into it. You have a, a, a kind of a unique job with, uh, with the Dodgers. Tell us about it. So I came in as field producer. I was still producing for Alana Rizzo in 2019. That was my first year. Then the world ended. <laughs> and I came back for the 2020 season, which was super interesting because I went from having pretty good access to the team in terms of going into the clubhouse and the dugout and to basically only being allowed to go to our suite where we filmed the pregame and postgame show and my car. And that was it. So that was a very dramatic change, especially because I used to talk to these guys every single day. Good morning. How's your family? This is and this interviewing them. And then all that kind of changed in 2020. And then now this year we're trying to get back to normal. We're still not getting the access to the players, obviously for safety reasons, but it's just so crazy when you go from, really building a rapport with these players to seeing Kenley in game 93. And he's like, wow, you're back. Like this is the first time I'm seeing you're like without your mask. And I'm like, Hey Ken, we like talk for a quick second and you don't stop to think like it's game 93. And this is the first time I'm actually in front of Kenley Jensen actually having a conversation with him. Um, That's not on zoom or email with PR or things like that. So we're trying to get back to normal, but field producing is a lot of fun. Uh, The Sportsnet LA crew is great. I mean, Jerry, John, Nomar, Ned, Kirsten. I mean, all of them put, they make every day fun. And today was, today there was a Rockies game and it was very hot, but (laughs) we were able to make sure we got the walk-off done, everything. So my hands are pretty much all over the show and I'm always talking to PR and making sure we get all the right players to, to come on. No, and, and especially with it being weird, uh, you know, we've had John Hartsung on, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've talked to some of those guys and they told us how weird the world was before it all, you know, went to where we are now, uh, where it all got shut down. So I can't even imagine how weird it would be. But, uh, but a part of the reason, you know, that we, that we wanted to have you on as well is there was kind of a monumental thing that happened this week. For the first time, I believe ever, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be, uh, it was an all women's broadcast earlier this week with one of your former colleagues in Alana Rizzo. And I, you know, I, I will say it's been nice to see the, the, the female component uh, for the, for all sports, not just baseball over the last several years, because in my opinion, some of the best lead anchors uh, out there are, are women. And, uh, and I feel like they don't get the props they deserve Alana being one of them. Cause she's damn good at her job and she's <laughs> damn good at, at a lot of stuff that she does. But uh, you know, but talk to us a little bit about, Kind of, you know, because again, you talked to us uh, about the Kristen component, how that shift has been from, you know, from Alana leaving to to where you are kind of now. So when Alana left, it was one of those bittersweet moments for me because she was she was someone I always looked up to. Even when I worked DodgersNation.com, I was her host there and I met her at FanFest and we had maybe a five minute conversation. And then, you know, three years later, I'm applying for this job and I mentioned her like, oh, I, I met you at FanFest. And she's just like, we talked about the Broncos. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. And she's like, well, I remember you. And so we had that connection. So we really grew from 
being just colleagues to actually being friends. And so for me, seeing her leave, I was sad, but I knew that she was going to do great things and going back to MLB Network and obviously being part of history with the all-female crew and going to switch into Kirsten. The interesting about that is I actually worked with Kirsten at NFL Network. And so I actually knew her before she got this opportunity. So me and her would always talk about you know, getting our big break and, and, and being able to be on camera and things like that. And we would talk about it all the time. So when she got the job, I was so happy for her because to me, it's like, that's my friend, like, oh my gosh. And then I got asked to come back as field producer. And so for me, it was just kind of a no brainer to say like, okay, like this is her moment. I want to help her transition. I want to help her any way that I can. And so it's been great because she's left one job, but she didn't necessarily leave everyone. So she's not going into a completely new situation because I was able to be there with her. And uh, um, it's been, it's been really interesting this year, because like you said, we're, we went from just doing Zooms. We had our first in-person interview. She had it with Cody Bellinger and that was like 65 games in or something like that. So it's been an adjustment period for everyone because people always kind of wonder like, oh, where's that rapport? And the truth is that we just haven't been able to talk to these players face-to-face in months. And for me, who've met, who met these guys in 2019, it's also been over a year that they haven't really seen my face. Like they heard my voice and things like that, but it's been a while. So you're almost reintroducing yourself to the team, but it's been, it's been a fun season so far. Hey, Lisa. So, Uh, What we were talking about earlier with this week was the first time ever there was an all-woman broadcast in Major League Baseball. Uh, Melanie Newman, the Baltimore Orioles play-by-play person. Uh, Sarah Langs was doing the color commentary, and your old friend Alana Rizzo was doing the the sideline reporting. So there's going to be a bunch of young girls that are going to be seeing that for the first time and is probably going to motivate them to go into broadcasting. Who motivated you to go into broadcasting? How did you get into broadcasting? I know you went to USC and you have your journalism degree, but where did your love of sports come from? So my love of sports came from my older brothers. I was a really big tomboy growing up. I My sister is more of the girly girl of the family, even though she's the one that really loves the Dodgers. And I kind of came later to that fandom. But I always wanted to play with my brothers and I always wanted to play sports, but I was way too short. <laughs> God made me 5'1". And all he did was give me a really strong voice. And so I tried to decide, like, how do I combine my love for sports with my love for talking and, and interviewing people and getting to know people like, oh, sports journalism. And so growing up, I never really saw a lot of Latinas in sports or maybe I just wasn't on the right channels. But Michelle Tafoya, Tracy Wolfson, like those kind of women, I saw them be on really high respected broadcasts, you know, Sunday night football, as well as like just covering multiple different teams and seeing the longevity of them and seeing their professionalism and the fact that they can cross over to a lot of sports. Like I would see them do golf. I'd see them do football. I see them do a variety of different things. And that let me know to not put myself in a box and don't just be on one sport like try to find your love for multiple things and see my background I have football I have baseball I have basketball I have all kind of things USC stuff and so going to USC was a really big goal for me because to me it was in the center of LA where there's two of everything and it's going to give me the most exposure it's going to 
thrust me into this spotlight where it's like, either you're ready or not, but you're gonna fake it till you make it. And so I got in and through there, I was able to meet ESPN Shelly Smith, who is a big role model in my life with everything she's done from writing to being on TV. And it's helped me kind of maneuver and network in this industry. And all my jobs have basically come from USC alumni or professionals that I've met while being a student at USC that I just took the effort to introduce myself to, network with them, and then an internship will open up and then kind of the rest was history. So it's just a matter of just talking to people. Like I said with Alana, I met her in 2016, it was FanFest. And then three years later, I got the opportunity to work with her and it was a no brainer to take that job. And are you a native Angelina? I am. <laughs> so what, what was the, yeah. talk to me behind the reasoning as to USC over UCLA. I are mean, you a spoiled child? Because for us no, natives, we all know what USC stands for. So. USC stands for not spoiled children, special <laughs> children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so I actually... I love telling this story because it always puts to shame people think that I'm spoiled. So my mom is a really big reason I went to USC when I was in high school, you know, I'm rah rah about, oh, mom, I'll go to USC and I want to go to USC. Now we're first generation here and my mom's looking like, oh, that's a pretty hefty bill. So my mom had a conversation with me and she's like, do you really want to go to USC? And I said, yeah. She's like, are you going to get into USC? And I said, yeah. And she left her job at Cell Central Clinic to go work at the USC clinic when I was in high school, because she's like, there's no way that we're going to pay for this. So I'm going to bet on you. I'm going to switch jobs. I'm going to maybe I'm gonna take a little bit of a pay cut because I believe in you. And we we're going to do this together. And when she did it, I was like, so I really got to go there then. Okay. <laughs> I really got to do this. And you know, at high school, I, once I graduated high school, I realized I really didn't learn anything in high school. And so I didn't get in my first time applying to USC. And so I went to community college at PCC and I learned, I like to say that I learned to be a student because I learned how to study. I learned how to write really. I learned how to basically be like, be just like focused on what you really want because it's super easy to get distracted especially at community college because all a lot of my friends went there and so I took all my morning classes and I put all my eggs in one basket I applied to only USC after a year at PCC it's bold and I probably won't recommend it to kids but it's what I did and I got in and it was such a big accomplishment for me because not only did I get in, but I got offered a university scholarship from USC. I got offered multiple grants from California. So as grateful as I was for my mom's sacrifice, I actually didn't even use her tuition assistance till about halfway through my junior, senior year. And so everything else was just stuff that I got through my grades and, and working hard and, you know, working a part-time job because I'm the youngest of four. And so three of us went to college, including myself. And so I know the struggles of loans. I know the struggles of, of what it does. And so I wanted to make sure that I made the most of it. And being at USC four years, I was a super duper senior by the time I left. And it's just one of those things that everyone that I looked up to either went to USC, played for USC. And to me, like you said, it wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't even on my, on my level. <laughs> I, I had to follow up with you on this because uh, I think I know at least we have two first generation uh, immigrants on this show. But being that you are first generation, uh, your family is from El Salvador. Mm -hmm. 
Did you ever feel, I, I feel that the first generation immigrants have this, this burden on them that they have to justify the journey that their parents made. And that was, you know, them leaving their home country, coming to a country that they don't know. There's a lot of pressure on the children of immigrants to succeed in order to say, you know what? You made the right decision. I mean, you just mentioned it. Your mother made a huge decision. You have to let me know what she did for your siblings because for her <laughs> to do that for you, you oh, might have been I'm the, the favorite. Yeah, obviously you're the favorite. <laughs> but did you feel any of that pressure that I feel that a lot of first-generation immigrants feel? I wouldn't say pressure. I, I took it more as motivation because I was the baby of the family. So, you know, my oldest brother, Dennis, he went to Northridge and then my sister decided to go to Northridge as well for business. And so they did it so seamless. And I was aiming really high. I was aiming at a private university where the acceptance rates is low. The transfer rates are even lower. And I just had to say like, okay, I can do this. My mom believes in me. And like, that's kind of all I need. And so I just took it like, I have to, I have to be better. You know, I have to learn from the mistakes that my siblings made. I had to learn from things that I've done. And when I applied to US, <laughs> I applied to USC and I got in, I knew the pride that it was going to bring to, to my family. You know, my dad is, you know, he has, people always ask me what he does. And I'm like, he does a lot of things. He manages buildings, he does construction, like he paints, he does, he does a variety of different things. He's, he's my Superman, but he didn't go to college. You know, he didn't finish high school. And I know for him, it brings him a lot of pride that his kids, he can put, you know, Pepperdine dad and Northridge dad and, you know, USC dad on his car, because to me, that's, that's the kind of motivation it gives me. And to see everything that my dad has done for my mom coming here to having a house, to building her dream house by the time I was in college, I mean, high school, you know, it just, it just showed me like, I don't have any excuses. So I didn't take it more as pressure. I took it more like a challenge. Like I took it more like, all right, I got to one up you guys. <laughs> so uh, my brother always jokes and he's like, yeah, I went to play college. You went to real college. <laughs> and my sister's like, why? Yeah. Why do you think I went to Pepperdine? I had to, you know, I had to one up you with my master's degree. And so it's just kind of that motivational fun that we have with each other, because we do understand that my family went through a lot. My, you know, coming over here, getting their citizenship, learning the language. Like I said, my dad, not going back to school. My mom was the, you know, the bookworm and she went to college, but my seeing both roads that I could take, showed me that it's not really your education it's what you decide to put your mind to like my mom used to tell me all the time like I don't care what you do this is before she like learned my love for sports she's like just do it well doesn't matter what you do just be the best at whatever it is you want to be and I had a bunch of odd jobs before I landed with the Dodgers like I worked at Bath and Body Works I worked at a doctor's office I worked as a cleaning lady with my dad like I did everything and so meeting all those different types of people and seeing people find joy in things that people consider beneath them shows me that it's really on you and what you make of each challenge that kind of comes your way. Take that for the USC slander, Juan, in your face. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm just asking the questions that our <laughs> listeners want to know. Okay, because yeah. we have I some get, UCLA I alumni that listen to the show. <laughs> so so that's all I'm saying. Maybe you should tell them to hang out at the Rose Bowl and to pipe down. Just, just stay chill. Keep, yeah, keep which, it chill. Which USC has the most wins in May? I add, but <clears throat> I, I'm not gonna uh, see. I didn't even have to say a whole lot. It just it <laughs> spoke for itself. You know what I'm saying? 
Uh, Elisa Hernandez is joining us here uh, for a few more minutes. Elisa, I'm curious because of all the jobs that you've had, you know, you, you've you've been a video editor for W for for the LA Sparks. You've uh, you've done some sports interning. You know, I know you did stuff for USC, uh, sideline reporting wise, Lakers as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, the NFL Network. The, you know, it's an impressive resume. But I'm kind of curious, yeah. who, who was a person that you came across out of all those jobs that just had you starstruck to the point where it's like, you know what, I just don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> Uh, it was two people. One was Derek Fisher, which I didn't think that I was going to get starstruck when I met him. I met him at a Lakers All Access event that I was covering for, at the time, I want to say Campus Circle Magazine. And they sent me there and I was kind of like, all right. And they were like, oh, hey, um, Elisa just wants you, Derek Fisher. And I was just like, and the second I saw him, point four just like popped in my head. And like me as a kid and watching the, and I was just like, hi hi Derek Fisher and he's like hi how are you I'm, like, I'm good and I'm like and I could hear like my professional voice like snap out of it get out of it and like the like kid in me was like you just shook Derek Fisher's hand like oh my gosh and then I like snapped out and I was like why well, I ask you a quick question and, like I asked him a couple questions and like that was it I did not see that one coming and the second one was the guy that's behind me and for the guys list the people listening it's Kobe Bryant's picture it's when I met Kobe and when I met Kobe, it was more the fact that I couldn't believe that I got to meet Kobe being a college student because I was able to kind of finesse my way with my internships. Oh, I'll go to Lakers practice. Oh, I'll go to Laker game. Oh, can I go to this game? So I was kind of the busy bee that way. And when I got to meet him, he just demanded such a high respect when you were in the room and he made you just make sure that you had your ducks in a row. There's no messing up, sit up straight, have good posture. Like he just kind of had that energy that just motivated you to want to ask the best question in the room and have him ponder something longer than maybe other reporters. Like you never wanted him to be like, what? <laughs> you know, you wanted to give him a good question. And so meeting him was one of those moments for me when I met him at Lakers media day. And one of my favorite pictures that I have of myself was I'm in a scrum and I'm five one. And so behind me is Lisa Leslie next to me is Jim Hill in front of me is Kobe. And then I'm there, my little face. Like you can't even see my body. It's literally just my face. And like, you could see my hand stuck out with my phone recording, you know, his media scrum. And, you know, seeing him put me in a starstruck mood, but it also like, let me know, like, don't be in a starstruck mood. You're in front of Kobe Bryant. He don't got time for this. He don't got time for you to be fanning over him. You need to do your job. And so that's, those are the two people that definitely got me. I'm big, I mean, being, raised here in LA. I'm a big Lakers fan. So those two guys, those two guys got me. Derek Fisher, though, I did not see coming. I will say that. Lisa, you, uh, you're a hustler. I mean, not <laughs> only do you, you know, you work for the Dodgers, but you also, like you mentioned, work with the Lakers. You also work for NFL Network. I mean, you're, you're, you're going everywhere. And, you know, you're trying to establish yourself in a career. And we just saw it past, you know, this past week with the first ever all-female broadcast. And yes, while more women are, is, it's becoming, it's becoming something that we're, it's, it's more common now to see women in sports. There is still a struggle for for women in sports. There, there's still obstacles that you guys have to run through that not that men don't have to deal with. On top of that, you're a Latina. And I think the issues with minorities in the position of sports has come up. For example, recently, what happened with uh, with Maria Taylor? 
Mm-hmm. You know, Maria Taylor made a decision that I think she, I admire it. She was not going to stand up for the disrespect that she received. So she moved on from ESPN to NBC. Mm-hmm. Being that you're still in the position that you're trying to elevate yourself in your career, how do you manage that? How do you deal with the fact that I'm not going to allow myself to disrespect, be disrespected, but at the same time, I can't burn bridges that I know might prevent me from having opportunities. I learned to say no. I learned to not accept every job that comes my way. Sometimes people offer you opportunities, but you look at kind of what they stand for. You look at the kind of stuff they produce and you see them portray their female athletes a certain way or female talent a certain way. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but like, I'm not the kind of talent that's going to go on YouTube with like a low cut shirt, short shorts, talk about sports. Cause you're not listening to me talk. You're looking at me and look to the women that do that. That's, that's for you guys too. That's just not for me. And so I had to learn to say no, even though I thought like, but this opportunity lets me be on camera and this opportunity allows me to get access to this, but at what expense, you know, what, what part of you are you giving up to, to get that. And so I had to really balance that out. And it's also just choosing organizations that have a certain level of respect that determine that whoever works for them needs to be a certain way. I mean, look at our crew on Sports in LA, John, Jerry, Nomar, Ned, Kirsten, they all get along very well. Oral, Joe, like everyone helps each other out. Like no one there is a diva. No one there is trying to outshine someone else or make someone look stupid. The way that I've seen them welcome Kirsten in and answer questions for her. And do you have anything, you know, you have any questions about this? Isn't it? It's just, it, it shows me like I'm in the right place. I'm, I'm surrounding myself with the right kind of people. And that's how I felt when I went to go work with Alana. For me, it was like, wow, I get to not only work for her, but I get to learn from someone that's well-respected someone that knows her stuff and someone that if I pull my weight, she will recognize that same hustle and that same thing in me. So that maybe down the line, she can help me one day or, and I it was before we be actually became friends. Um, I was just thinking like creating a colleague, creating a bridge and don't get it twisted. I've met people that told me they were going to help me and flirted with me and told me they were going to help me. And it's, it's just kind of a vibe you get. And so you have to kind of politely decline politely just say, oh, okay, like, thank you so much. You know, I can't right now, things like that. I've had working in professional sports athletes, oh, like, let's get a drink after, you know, just come to the bar at my hotel, we'll talk. And it's like, no, I'm okay. Like, thank you, though. I appreciate it. And so you have to kind of see those moments and understand, like, unfortunately for women, you have to look at what it's going to look like versus what it is. And that's a really how many times does that happen? Because I'm sure <laughs> men don't have to deal with that. Men don't have to worry about their colleagues asking them out, you know, for a drink. But what you just said sucks mm-hmm. because yeah. you have to worry about mm-hmm. what's it going to look like, even if it's completely innocent. Mm-hmm. It's just a I mean, you see it sometimes like guy reports, but oh, I saw LeBron at the bar. We had a drink. And it's it's just it's not seen any kind of way. It's just like, oh, well, he ran into him. He probably got some insight. He's probably going to use it on the show tomorrow. But if you see a female reporter, oh, I saw this person at the bar with LeBron James. It's like, well, why is she at the bar with him? It was late. Did it when reality she was probably just having a drink. LeBron came down, got a drink. saw, oh, hey, what's up? And left. 
And I talked about that with a few female reporters, uh, especially when I got into this business, like Shelly Smith, Alana, um, and they all kind of told me like, everything matters, how you stand, what you're doing when people aren't in the room to interview. I think one of the biggest things I learned, especially going to the, you know, the clubhouse or the locker room, we can't even, we can't wander. We can't, we can't just like look dazed out, you know, cause guys are changing. So I'm either looking at my notebook, my phone, the floor or the ceiling. Sometimes like when I would go to post game to interview the, uh, interview the game, interview the guys after the Dodger games, I would literally walk in, you know, Austin Barnes is coming out of the shower. I turn around, I tap my audio guy and I'm like, Hey, let me know when he has pants on. And he's like, cool. And I'm literally just standing, looking at the floor. And then I get a tap on the shirt. You're good. And then I turn around. I'm like, Hey, Austin, can I talk to you? Oh yeah, sure. Puts a shirt on, do the interview. And then I'm done because I can't be caught wandering. I can't. It's just because it's, again, it's, it's what it looks like. And so you always have to kind of take that with it, with a grain of salt, the way you dress, the way you stand, you know, the way you laugh. I mean, it's literally, you have to watch out for so many things because you just can't have those same relationships with the players. Now you can have a relationship with the players, but again, the way my, honestly, my little rule is like, I will talk to you during regular business hours, 8 a.m., 6 p.m. the latest and if you're on the east coast probably four and that's it and then that's just what and if you and if a message comes in i will wait till the next day to respond because i also like you can't as a woman you also can't just assume every guy that messages you is gonna try to hit on you because then that's just being unfair to the other side as well like you can't have male colleagues you can't have relationships with players and I, and I have those where it's completely platonic and I ask them questions or I say, hey, you know, how'd you feel about this? Like, or like, why were you wearing the all-star game gloves today? And things like that. And it's fine. And so, but it's, it's just a constant battle. It's a constant balancing act. And so you realize that it, it is part of the game. Um, but I hope that women in sports just continue to be more of a normal thing. And it, it stops being a big deal when a woman does play by play. And it's just her job. And, and to follow up on that, so I, I, I work in radio. I do ESPN radio stuff. As you know, the, uh, the uh, dynamic is, uh, is, is not all that greatly cultured, if you will, um, especially amongst, you know, a lot of white guys, a lot of, you know, a lot of that, right? In my opinion, some of the best sideline reporters I've ever dealt with are, are women. Holly Rowe, I, I will give her props until the day I die because she's one of the best at what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the subtle racism, if you will, to a certain degree, I know is a thing. I know not as much in your market because it's a far more diverse market, but you talk to us about kind of how that is even a thing, not even just being a female, but also just being a Brown female trying to break through in this industry. You know, that was a little bit of a struggle for me at first. So I'm the, I have really good lighting on, so I look a little lighter, but you know, when I'm in the sun all summer, I, I get dark and my dad calls me la, 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 la negrita because I'm actually the only girl in my entire family that's dark skin. And I get it from my grandfather, my dad, my brother, we're all this kind of tone. My uncles are all darker tone and all of my other siblings are very light Latinas, like literally like this kind of light. And I used to tell my mom, like, man, if I look like my sister, I would be on TV already. And she would just be like, you can't look at it that way. Like you have to just look at it like you are you and you need to be proud of that. And so 
I would literally apply to markets in different states. Like I was not picky. I was like, I'm gonna apply to everywhere, Arkansas, Wichita, Texas, like it doesn't matter. But what I would do first is that I would look at who they had on their crew. And I would look at their sports department. I would look at their news department, their weather department. And if it was primarily Caucasian, I'm just like, they're not, I'm not what they're looking for. And so I wouldn't apply. And part of that hindered me for a little bit. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just put myself out there until someone says yes. And so <laughs> lucky for me, I kept getting opportunities here in LA and the Lakers said yes to me. I was their in arena host for the 2016, 2017 season. And then following that, you know, I worked at NFL Network and then I got my job with the Dodgers. So I just had to realize like, I can't control any of that. All I can control is what I bring to the table. And that's one thing that I learned from Alana. It was like, you can't worry about other people. You need to be the best at who you are and what you can do. And guess what? It'll get to the point where no one can deny you. No one can deny how talented you are. And I feel like that's where we got with Maria Taylor, where she just got so good there's no denying that. So, and she was working in the business 10 years. And one of my favorite things to say is every overnight sex, uh, every overnight um, success is 10 years in the making, because it's true. You know, people always think like, oh, Maria Taylor probably got favorited. And, and that's why she, it's just like, she's been doing this for 10 years, 10 years. She just got to do college game day. And then she moved on to the NBA playoffs and then the NBA finals everything is, is a work in progress. And so you just have to trust that your time is going to come. And one thing that keeps me going is that people like Shelly Smith, people like Alana executives that I know at ESPN, I'll send them my stuff. And they're just like, keep going. Like if I hear anything, I'll let you know, but don't give up. And I'm like, no, for real, tell me if I suck though, because (laughs) uh, I got to pay these bills. And if I need to be a producer full time, like I need to know that kind of now. And they're just like, don't give up. Like, you're good at this. Like, you can do it. Like, we, we recognize it. And unfortunately for me, you know, COVID hit and a lot of stuff that I had lined up fell through because no one knew where things were going. And so when I see like a Maria Taylor, when I see him like a Malika Andrews, who's 26 and did great in the NBA finals, it's just like, look, every, everything happens for a reason. Everybody's time comes and you just have to be ready for it. So I just try to market myself as much as I can, meet as many people as I can. And you realize that all the behind the scene guys are very, it's a very diverse group. And so I just have to make sure I try to climb that ladder. And I don't try to, I try not to step on nobody because I know what it feels like to be stepped on. So Alisa, you are in an interesting situation in the sense that you work for a company who's partnered with a major league baseball team. (laughs) So there is a partnership there and, and you already talked about it earlier. You hinted at the fact that you have to be very careful in terms of appearances. Mm -hmm. How is it that you and your team balance that line between being journalists and asking the tough questions but at the same time, maintaining those relationships with those players, because I, I feel that now with COVID, it's very easy for the players to avoid having to answer certain mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. because all they have to go to the Zoom room. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, recently we just had Starling Castro with the Washington Nationals have an incident with with domestic abuse. You know, these things happen. Situations happen privately in players' lives that they clearly don't want to talk about. 
Now, you being that you work for a, a, a company who is partnered with the team, if you start asking questions that maybe they don't like, they might start cutting out your access. And if you lose access, that's going to be your job, right? So how do you balance that? How do you balance the situation where these are conversations we have to have, but yet nobody wants to have them? So for us, we're in a, like you said, we're in a unique situation, mostly because like we are the home network of the Dodgers. And so we really focus, we're like, we're basically like the home, we're, like, we're the home team, basically, we're, we're homers. And so a lot of companies can't do that. Like you have to be objective and things like that. We're very much the homer team. And so we are never going to put a player in a position where they feel uncomfortable where we know their stance on it privately. For example, like the, the past couple of games with the umpire callings and things like that, we know that if players call out the umpires, they can get a fine, they can get things like that. Us as their home network, we're gonna protect them in the sense like, I'm not gonna set up Kenley Jansen to say, what you think of the umpire calling tonight? Do you think that's what cost you this? I'm not gonna do that. And because that's putting the player in a position where they probably wanna give an honest answer, but they also know, like, I really don't want to get fined or I really don't want to get a letter. Or, I really don't want to get in trouble. And so we're never going to put them in a position. If we know of an injury, you know, it's not for us to, to tell on them, you know. And so we kind of just protect them as much as we can in that way, because we want to make sure that we're telling their stories. That's one thing that we do when I'm like when every time we meet the players. One thing that I would watch Alana do, like I remember when Matt Beatty got called up. She went to Matt. She introduced, hi, I'm Alana Rizzo. I'm the sports reporter for Sports in LA. I just want you to know, like, I'm here to protect you in the, in the sense of I'm not going to break no news. I'm not going to sit here and call you out about negative things. Like, I'm here to help your career. I'm, help, I'm here to let you know that this is your platform to tell me stuff about yourself, things like that. So we're in a different situation in that way because like you said, we're very connected to the Dodgers. And so we just kind of told the line of like telling the story of the game. And that's what we're focused on. And right now with the team, they're really focused on winning a championship. And so we kind of just told the line of making sure that like we're getting fans the access that they, as much access as we can get them. But one, one of the good things about our guys is they are not scared to face those questions if they do come. And they're not scared to be honest if it really means a lot to them. I mean, even like when Kenley had the blown save the other night, it's Zoom. He could have easily just not got on, <laughs> just walked out. And he decided to face every reporter, every criticism. He answered the questions about fans booing him and, and things like that. And, and so for us, it's just we're just there to kind of cover the team, get players to tell their their stories in their own ways. And I think that's why Backstage Dodgers is so successful. And I think that we as, well, me as the field producer and Kirsten as a reporter, we're just there to kind of cover it day by day as it goes. So right before the All-Star break, there was a situation where Jerry Harrison was very critical of Will Smith, yeah. in particular with a play behind mm -hmm. the home, um, home play. Mm -hmm. Does Jerry Harrison have more leeway been being critical because he's a former player like did he call an audible and he just <laughs> went on the show and he said hey you know what i'm going to call out will smith or is that a conversation that the producers get together and they go okay this is what we're going to talk about or wh what happens there like so, does he have more leeway because he's a former player 
I mean, it's not a written rule, but I, it's kind of like an unwritten rule. Like, yeah, I would say so. Because for me, like, I would never speak on it because I don't know what that is. But I actually applauded him on social media when he did that because he was very adamant about being on one knee and the fact that you got to, at the major league level, they're teaching that and it comes out as too flashy and you got to be prepared for those moments. And that's, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. It's we are not afraid to call them out for certain things. And because some things are just very obvious. <laughs> so when a mistake is made, we're not going to act like that mistake wasn't made. And if Dave Roberts gets ejected, we're not going to just act like he didn't get ejected. We're also going to ask him about that. And so we're not going to ignore those kind of things. And for me, I leave it up to the, the guys that have played this game, the guys that have won World Series, the guys that have really been in the trenches to kind of give that input because no one's going to know it better than them. And that's one of the reasons that I love working with No More and working with uh, Jerry, because they are not shy about saying it how it is sometimes. And as fans, I think that's refreshing because they understand like, okay, we're the home team, you know, John Kirsten, they're going to report the news and Jerry, Ned and Nomar, they're going to give their solid opinions of the state of the team, the state of players, and if they deserve the booze or if they don't. Lonzo, you got anything? I know we're running short on time and I got one more for her. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I will say, you know, we, we protect our guests here uh, as well, just like you guys protect the players. Fuck their Vic Carapaza. That's that strike zone was trash. I have no problem saying that. Uh, even though I know some of those umpires, I have no problem also saying that Jerry Meals' strike zone was absolute fucking garbage. Take that. Uh, but uh, my last question for you, uh, Elisa, uh, where do you see the 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 evolution of of uh of women not just in our game but the nfl you know the nba because obviously we you know we, there was a little bit of controversy with the nba finals as well with that stuff with rachel nichols and uh and i forgive her name uh, please forgive me don't uh maria uh, taylor maria <laughs> taylor thank you i'm horrible with names i apologize okay um but i mean you know but but i mean at this point you know i'm glad to see that, you know, like I mentioned when we first started, that evolution of seeing, you know, Rachel Nichols in her own right is also really good at what she does, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. you know, th- there has been this evolution of seeing really good uh, uh, female, you know, color and analysts that, that you know, Doris Burke is another example who's phenomenal at her fucking job. Um, wh- where do you kind of see that in the next few years? I'm just kind of curious to hear your take for someone that's in the trenches right now. I mean, I I think it's going in the right direction. I think that there's a lot of work to be done because what I don't want it to be, it shouldn't be a debate on if three women should be on a broadcast, you know, and kind of what that means. It's, I think you should get it if you're contributing to the conversation, if you're going to have insight to the teams, you're going to have insight. And one of the things I liked about them choosing Malika Andrews was because she had covered the Bucks before and she had kind of been in the trenches with them when they were kind of building up Giannis to the championship level that he was at. And so when she got that opportunity for me, it was like, that makes sense, you know, and I respect Rachel Nichols. I respect Maria Taylor. I respect Malika Andrews. And I think the biggest thing that I don't want to happen is that we fight amongst each other to get one spot versus fighting the fact that there's only one spot. I think that's the bigger conversation that needs to be had. And the way I look at broadcast, the way it has been for a long time, it's there's normally four men, one woman, like one woman. And that's been like the way that it's kind of been always. And it's never really 
bothered me because everyone seems to get along well. They give good insight. It No one seemed like, oh, he's only there because he's a guy. She's only there because she's a girl. I've never taken anybody that way. But I think that we are going into the direction where we can't have a female color analyst, a female commentator, female play-by-play. And it's not this like taboo thing of like, oh my gosh, like how are the ratings going to be? And how are this, you know, it's just... I think like the more that we as women put ourselves out there in the sense like we know our stuff as well and not be too shy about it, kind of be a little bit of a shark. I think that it's trending in the right direction. For me, seeing Alana do what she did, for me, it paved the way. I'm just like, wow. So that can be, I can work with a crew that like that someday. I don't just have to set my mind on one thing. Like I can either be producing on a show like that or I can be on camera on a show like that. I just want to make sure that I'm able to do the same. Like you said, being a more brown tone Latina, like I know like not a lot of women that look like me are on TV either. And so whenever I get the opportunity to do that, I hope that I can inspire someone else to say, wow, like, okay, it doesn't matter if I'm a darker skin Latina or a lighter skin Latina. Like if I know my stuff and work hard, like I can get there. So, you know, the NFL working there, um, I see a lot of behind, behind the scenes work that we're trying to do. And I work with the international team as well as the U.S. Hispanic team. And we're really trying to branch into that market and, and uh, appeal to those fans. And so I'm taking that opportunity as well to kind of let them know, like, hey, I'm a U.S. Hispanic fan. <laughs> you know, I can appeal to that market. And so coming up with ideas to unite cultures, to unite different people, I think that's going to open up the doors to allow more access. And with more access comes more opportunities. And I think that's where we're at now. We just can't have it one door. You know, it needs to be multiple doors for multiple people. And a, and a low-key shout out to uh, Renee Young, who uh, who broke those doors for WWE by doing a, a color for them. Uh, we are all wrestling fans here. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and no, you know, no, no, no kayfabe. Renee Young did the damn thing. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things where we're seeing evolution on all the sports and that's, I'm happy to see it. I'll be honest with you. Cause like I said before, and I'll say it again, some of the, the best sideline reporters, best studio analysts, they're female. And yeah, they may have not have played at, you know, in the NFL for obvious reasons, but they're still damn good at what they do. And I don't, and I think a lot of them don't get the props they deserve. No, I agree. And honestly, my friend rain, she's actually entering a contest to be in I want to say an arena, like the people that introduce the the wrestlers that come in. She's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's in a contest right now. I think for W um AWE, I think it's called. Oh AEW. AEW, yes. So she, I think she's doing it for that. But like seeing her put herself out there, and when I met her, she was a very quiet girl, and now like she has a whole TikTok and she's doing this whole campaign. And for me, it's just like, yeah, put yourself out there. Like, why not? Like, you know, like the worst thing that's gonna happen is you don't get it. But guess what? You don't know who's going to see you. You don't know who's going to watch you and be like, oh, like she might be good maybe for this different company or this different blog to do X, Y, and Z. And so, like I said, it's just a matter of putting yourself out there and taking opportunities. And what, that's one thing I had to learn. I was really shy about my work. Why? I don't know why. I produce a lot of Super Bowl promos and Super Bowl, you know, hype reels and things like that, that were aired and sent to different countries to be aired. 
but I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't, don't want to put it on Twitter. Oh, I don't want to put it on Instagram. And it's like, why, why the hell not? Like, just do it. Like, so who cares? You know, Twitter, you're basically talking to yourself and hoping someone talks back. So Facts. That's kind Facts. Of yes. <laughs> if it isn't everyone's fake mad about something, you're just hoping someone heard what you just said to yourself. <laughs> Exactly. So it's basically, it's basically a big running diary. So I, I try to be better at that. And so trying to connect with fans more and just show them kind of what I'm capable of, because you never know who's watching. Truth. My friend Juan has one last question for you. <laughs> this is how we end all our shows, okay. Elisa. So uh, we're all about the taco culture on, <laughs> uh, on this show. But before I go there, I do want to ask one thing, because you came in hot on Twitter on this. So I just have to ask you. Oh no. <laughs> is boo is booing being critical? Oh, the the reason why I asked that's you not, this, I feel like that's not a yes or no question. <laughs> the only reason why I asked you I know is why. you came in hard I defending did. Kenley. I did. And all I'm saying I did. is there is one thing. I mean, I myself <laughs> I, I think you have to reserve your booing for First, other things like when the Astros come into town, you bet your ass I'm gonna boo. But the the Jansen thing, I just think the reaction. I think the fans took a really bad hit there. I feel like people were really hard on the fans, and I just feel like people didn't take into consideration all the outside factors. They were the Dodgers win that game and they're in first place. Yes. They're frustrated. The mm -hmm. team has just been dealing with injuries. So to me, the booing is frustration. And I feel that fans have to have a right to let that out. Now, the <laughs> fact that people came out there, Dave Roberts calling the fans classless for booing. I just feel like, you know, cut these guys Cut these, cut the fans some slack because this is not the first time that Jansen has been booed. Okay, True. so for them to all of a sudden just all pile on the fans, I feel like the fans had a right to boo. Now, whether they should have booed or not, I feel like they were just letting out their frustration. But I know you came in hot on Twitter. I did. I want to hear your take on this. Why shouldn't we not boo Jansen? Well, for me, okay, so for me, I took it as we're at home. We're facing our rival. To me, it's like this guy has been a lifelong Dodger. Yes, everyone goes through struggles. Everyone goes through up and down. And it's funny because I had somebody respond to me on Twitter and they sent me the GIF from Titanic where it's like, it's been 84 years. And I was just <laughs> like, dang, I was like, his perfect June of saves was 84 years ago. You know, it's like, and so that's kind of what I replied because yes, we're all very passionate and me being a Dodger fan, it's hard for me sometimes to hold back kind of my fandom to be like, Oh, you know, or like, cause I'm sitting right by the dugout. And so I can't sit there and, and act like I'm just sitting in reserve with a Michelada in my hand. I can't act like that. So I have to kind of reserve that. I understand the fans frustration. Yes. They have the right to express it. Yes. They have the right to boo. But for me, it hurt. Cause I know how hard Jansen works. And I know that, no one feels it deeper than him. And he's worked so hard to come back and be that closer for, for the Dodgers. And for us to kind of boo him in front of our rivals, it was like, really? Like, really? It's like, for me, if I was a Giants fan and I'm seeing this team boo their own guy in their own house, like, I'm just sitting back. I'm just sitting back and watching you guys do the work for me. So for me, it was like, you know what? I think, I think my exact tweet was, let the... Let the praise 
be as loud as a disrespect. And then I said, when the time comes, let the praise be as loud as the disrespect. And I say that because if you're going to boo, do that. But when Jansen does what he needs to do, those boos need to turn into cheers. Need to turn into when I when he had the save the other night, I had four fans were like, "I love you, Jansen. I love you." And it's just it was such a flip from like the other night. And so I just say, look, if you're gonna boo, if you're gonna be critical, when the time comes, that's fine. But make sure you give the respect and the praise when that time comes as well. Well, yeah, but I feel like that's what fans do. Fans will boo when things go wrong and when things go right. He's my favorite player. I never doubted it for a second that's that he was going to pull through. That's what I'm saying. Just, All let I'm be, saying. just let it be as loud, as well, loud, because the boos sometimes outshine like when they be praising him. But he had a really great June. We just we're just having a conversation. The fact that he should have been at the All Star game. He did not have the outings that he wanted to have in Colorado and then against the Giants, and. I know that for him, he, Jansen, the reason I have a lot of respect for Jansen is because he, he understands that. I think we take it harder sometimes because we see how hard he works. And then for him, he always says like, look, I know. And guess what? When they love me, I'm here. And when they hate me, I'll work hard. You know, that that's his mentality with it. And that's one of the things that I respect about him. Because like I said, when he had that blown save, there he was walking into the media room, sat down, took every single question and then went home to mediate, uh, not mediate, meditate, which is what he told Kirsten Watson, how he put that behind him and came in for the save uh, against the Rockies. Yeah, I just, like I said, I just, that's what fans do. That's, I mean, we were all at the game on Tuesday, mind you, <laughs> the only game the Dodgers won against the Giants that mm-hmm. series. And, w- and I think after Joe was a draining Gr- series, that was a draining series. Yeah, it was, after, it was emotionally after- hard. <laughs> After Josiah Gray gave up his 55th home run in the game, every <laughs> fan around our section, babyface, back me up on this, was dropping the F-bomb, was saying this guy needs to be sent down, this guy sucks. How is that any different than booing? I mean, this is just, this is what fans do. Fans <laughs> want these guys to be yeah. perfect all the time. It's true. why it's fanaticism, right, Alonzo? <laughs> I, I will say this. So I worked in the game, so I have a different perspective than, the, than these two guys. Uh, because I know deep down inside, Elisa was next to the dugout, like, oh fuck, like, but you can't say that out loud, <laughs> like you you can't, right? Um, but in my like, I told these guys in our group text that you know the 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 booing and all that jazz. You know, I agree with you. The, the praise better be as high as the disrespect, right? But in my opinion, the the sorts of franchises that do that sort of stuff are are the the entitled franchises and i don't think the dodgers are an entitled franchise i i usually refer to those franchises as the phillies the yankees the red Sox, those sorts of franchises that boo their players and i i personally i took it like how you did elisa i took it personal and and i i i thought it was out of line personally because again this is also the same fan base that thinks that dave roberts should be fired every time that something goes sideways. And I don't think that at all, because if, yeah. if anything, he's probably one of the reasons we're still in it. If we're being hundred percent honest, because he's had to manage and, and you know, this, this, uh, this kind of puzzle piece of a lineup. So I, uh, I am, I, I will side with Elisa here and, uh, <laughs> and spit in your face Juan and say, I do not agree with what you are saying. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not spitting. All, all I'm case, saying is, but is fans, yeah, he does. <laughs> fans have a right. I, oh, mean, yeah, no, I, I don't deny that. They are fanatics. That. It's yeah, the I, whole I, I'm, Look, I'm saying, yes, fans can, fans are going to boo. That's what they do. But for me, like I said, I, I just took it like we're at home facing this rival. 
and you guys are booing this guy at home and he granted for us it's very much like well what have you done in july june was in june that was a long time ago right but it's just like when that fan messaged me he was like what's well, been 84 years and i was like he was literally perfect seven for seven in <laughs> yeah. saves in june like what do you mean but it just it hurts especially because those are games that we should have won it's games that would put us in first that would have got us ahead in first because they lost two games to the pirates i get all that but again with the puzzle piece that we had luke Rayleigh, billy mckinney zach mckinstry playing today's game and we're trying to every time I feel like we get ahead something happens and then it's like a new puzzle piece has to fit you know uh, Joe Kelly was seen limping today they're gonna they're gonna look at him tomorrow Cody Bellinger has a hamstring injury once again Lux as well Corey Seager might not be back for a couple of weeks Mookie Betts is down I mean most of most of our star players are basically not playing Kershaw's still not pitching and so People and we still have what the second best record in baseball. And so for me, it's the way I look at Dave Roberts, and it's so funny because people comment like he's just too calm and he's just this. And it's just like I see him, I guess if I'm on a plane and there's turbulence on the plane, and you see the captains in a cool voice, the stewardess are still handing out cookies and drinks, and you're just like, you know what? Everything's gonna be okay. Now, the second that I see them strap in, oh, we're in trouble. And so for me, I like when Dave Roberts is calm because I'm like, that means that everything is okay. <laughs> I have you. said that Dave Roberts is this team's Phil Jackson. I, I've used that comparison. And uh, and I, I don't he's have managing a lot of stars. He's managing he a lot of stars and a lot of talent. Then and, and someone ripped me on Twitter for saying that, but thank you for saying <laughs> what you just said because it's like, yo, like any other team. Any other team that had even the 90s Yankees, if any other team has that amount of injuries, I don't think they're as talented as this group still is and is weathering the storm as good as this group is. So all things considered, the fact that they're 60 and 40, if I'm not mistaken, or 61 and 40, and they're still the second best record in all of baseball, and they're still, what, two games? In, 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 yeah, get the fuck out of here. Like, come on, just stop. Just stop. As a matter of uh, fact, okay. Juan, get out of here. It's the fact that we're getting like we're, we're interviewing Mitch White and Billy McKinney and Luke Rayleigh and we're putting Matt Beatty at first base. I mean, these guys are trying their hardest to contribute and trying their hardest. I mean, you got Billy McKinney filling in for Mookie Betts. So, <laughs> why is it okay to slander Billy McKinney and not Kenley Jansen? That's because what he, just got, because he <laughs> just got here. Because he just got here. Kenley's well, been saying, here for 16 I'm, years. Juan. I'm saying Billy years. McKinney is a, he's he's hustling. He has been getting on base. Like you have to take the good with the bad. I mean, even when Cody was struggling, it was I saw a tweet the other day, and I think it was from Eric Stevenson. He said he was like, if you guys are wondering why Cody Bellinger's in the lineup, that catch in center field, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, and so it's a constant balancing act. This week, Chris Taylor was the MVP. We all know that. My, you know, Max Muncie had his beautiful daughter, so he's on paternity leave, but, you know, he's going to be back. And so we basically had, like, bullpen games this week. <laughs> we were able to manage them to the best that we could. And like I said, the, the plane is cruising. They're still serving cookies, so I'm, I'm not worried. And Juan is 0 for 2 on the slander. So I will take that. I will take that. You've been listening to the Dave Roberts Marching in Chowder Society <laughs> Hour, ladies there and is. gentlemen. There it is. So, wait till we have Tim, wait till we have Tim Needham Fury on. Wait till we have him on. <laughs> All right. So now back to our taco culture, Lisa. This is how we end every show. So you are an Angelina. So we need to know this. 
What is your favorite taco? And are there any places around here that you recommend that we go get that taco? So living in Pasadena and now that I, I just, my favorite part of the broadcast, whenever we went in and Oral and Joe shouted out is Arturo's Tacos on Fair Oaks. If you ever hear them say like, we're going to go get taco on Fair Oaks. That's the truck they're talking about. There's two trucks there. And me and my dad love going there. I've been going there for years. I, I'm an old school girl. So I get the salsa tacos with cilantro and the guacamole sauce and cebolla and you know my dad's the champurado and we're or a bottle of coke and then we have a, we have a good time so we love we love that taco truck it always brings me joy when oral and joe talk about it on the broadcast and i'm like that's right in my house and so i would recommend you guys to stop by there they so wait wait go. what's the go-to meat there for me okay so me i like pasadas from there my okay. sister's a big al pastor girl so she loves al pastor tacos mulitas burritos uh from there does the al pastor there have a pineapple do they put no. pineapple no. on top of it no okay i'm I going there now I just on that alone <laughs> i'm doing that yeah they do not put the pineapple on it no just need to know that's all uh and all, and- all i'm saying is this that you had you came in through i'm proud of you because you are a fellow alumni of the choice i wanted to uh <laughs> oh! I wanted to. I wanted to save that until the end. You did it in 2018. I did it in 2017, oh, and snap. we went and we went the same length. Okay, <laughs> I, I got beat in the following round. I was top 16, went top eight, mm-hmm. and some guy. You know, a lot of people made comments because I showed up wearing a Magic Johnson jersey on my appearance on television. Maybe I should have gone with Kareem, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I went with Magic and I lost. So. But I just wanted to show that out there because I saw your clip on it and you were very good on it. Thank you. Thank you. And fun fact, I will say for the record that on that top eight one, Fred picked me and I won on the Facebook poll. The only poll I lost on was the was the NBC.com one. Oh That's the God. one I lost. We on. have the same thing. Fred yeah. gave me the victory, yeah. but I lost. <laughs> I know because the guy beat me on the off. I will say, I will say that, I will say this. I was I watched the next round, and when I lost, I was like, "How you gonna beat me and lose?" Like. Come on now. Come on now. Let, let, you should have went you. to the top four. <laughs> Fred, Fred is my boy. I love Fred. He's been a big yeah, supporter of my guy. career. But I will say this a little, you know, behind the scenes. The, I, in the first round, I had to go up against an African-American. And Fred was like, why did they put the two minorities against each other in the first round? Why? You know, all I'm saying, yeah. and it's just very convenient that the white boys were in the finals. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. Hot takes. Wow. From, hot the hot takes continue from one. Hot takes right there. Well, I'm this, happy that we're. There's both no marching in chowder society on this show from me today. <laughs> uh, and by the way, uh, uh, real quick before we ask Elisa where you can find her, uh, speaking of tacos, I wanted to give a shout out to Guisados. Uh, they were mm. nothing but the best. I was there on Tuesday. I had a medical emergency and they were nothing but the best about that, too. Um, so <laughs> okay. I, I promised them I'd shout them out. So I'm shouting them out. Quisados, thank you. Your quesadilla de chorizo was fire. Uh, if you haven't been there, check it out. Uh, no pun intended because it's spicy sausage for the white people that don't know what that is. On that note, Elisa, <laughs> where can people find you on the internet? You guys can find me on Instagram at Hernandez underscore LA and on Twitter at E Hernandez TV. I feel like I'm gonna get a bunch of angry Dodger fans coming after me, but it's all good because I'm open to the conversation. And you can check me out on my podcast Sportsish on the Believe Network, which airs every Tuesday. 
and uh and i will be following her on the uh, on the gram only because i suck at twitter but uh <laughs> please go check her out elisa thank you for the time we really appreciate it we appreciate the candor and uh we appreciate the taco recommend thanks guys it was, it was great you guys are fun, fun fun group here fun group thank you we really appreciate <laughs> that uh and on that note uh go follow elisa follow all things elisa please 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 and uh, we'll talk to you soon there you have it big thanks to elisa for joining us this week Go follow her, follow the Bleed Los podcast, follow myself and Juan at the Bean 818 at Blue Revolt Film. Um, please leave us a review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Huge thanks to each and every single one of you that supports this podcast. Without you, we would not get guests like Elisa. So please continue to support. We'll continue to bring the dope, uh, dope guests. But in the interim, stay safe, go Dodgers, and we'll catch you down the road. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.